The Passion of Christ is the title of the lesson this morning. And we're going to start in Mark, the 12th chapter, and uh, verses 28 through 34, which was uh, read for us this morning. But I also want to mention, because you may catch this, Mark 12, 28 through 34, and you may ask the question, why are you starting in Mark 12, 28 through 34, when you're, going to talk, when you're going to talk about the passion of Christ? Because normally when you talk about the passion of Christ, where you want to start is over in Matthew, the 21st chapter. But I'm hoping by the time we finish this morning, you'll see the connection between Mark 12 and then Matthew chapter 21, which we'll talk about various passages. And I want to say this as we get into the lesson. There's a whole lot of passages that go along with this particular title, this particular lesson. And there's an outline in the back, so if you want to uh, pick up one of those, all of those passages are listed because we won't have time to take a look at all of them, and I'll just have to reference them. So uh, if you want a full copy of that, there should be an outline in the back there you can, you can pick up. I want to give you a little qualifier, a little definition as we get into the lesson. Because a lot of times we see that title, The Passion of Christ, and not everybody just readily understands, identifies what, what that statement is saying there. The Passion of Christ oftentimes refers to kind of that entire final week. And it would include, I don't have it all listed there, but it would include when Jesus comes into Jerusalem. And then the teaching that goes on that week. And the miracles and so forth, we'll mention that in a few minutes, that he does that week. His arrest, his trial, the scourging, the crucifixion, the resurrection, the ascension, all of that is sometimes referred to as the passion of Christ. But in Mark, the 12th chapter, Jesus is really describing our passion for God. In Mark 12, verse 28 through 34, a scribe comes to Jesus. And he asked him, what is the greatest commandment? And Jesus is going to answer him and he says, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Quite a statement, isn't it? What's the greatest commandment? The greatest commandment is love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. With everything you got. And sometimes we look at that and we go, wow, that's, that's a lot. And so I'll ask you as we get started. Are you doing that? <laughs> or can you do that? And what I want to say to that is, yes, you can. Because God would not ask us to do that if we couldn't do that. But here's what we need to understand. We need a little help to get there. <laughs> and so this morning as we go through this lesson, I hope you'll see the connection between Mark 12 and then we'll go to Matthew 21 and we'll begin that last week. And we'll see how that ties together and how God helps us to fulfill that command that He requires of us. 
One of the things that we need to understand in regards to all this is just understanding passion and what is meant there. In Luke, the 23rd chapter, in verse 33, there's a very simple statement that is made there by uh, Luke in his gospel. In verse 33, it says, And then they came to Calvary, and there they crucified him. Just kind of a direct... (laughs) Statement that is made. They came to Calvary and there they crucified him. That's really a culminating statement of everything that has gone before. And sometimes when we read that story, we read that statement, we might ask ourselves and say, How did this happen? How did he get here? And so that's what we need to understand. Now let me give you this definition. The word passion, if you talk to those folks who like to study words and find out their original beginning and original meaning and all these kind of things, they will tell you that the word passion originally meant simply agony and suffering. And in that sense, you kind of make the connection go, oh, (laughs) now... The passion of Christ. I understand why it's called that. Because that has to do with agony and suffering and all that he went through. But over time, the decades, the centuries and so forth, the word evolved. And in our English usage of that word, we don't use it in that way anymore. And say passion, oh, well, that's agony and that's suffering and all those kinds of things. No, when we think about passion, we think about strong desire. We think about emotion. And that's what it really has to do with and drive and motivation. In fact, sometimes we may say something like a person has a real passion for art. Or a a person has a real passion for sports. It was her passion for medicine that drove her to become a doctor. He has a passion to become a professional athlete. And that's the way we sometimes think about passion. A passion for another person. A passion for a goal or pursuit. A passion for something. So when we talk about Christ... We think about his agony. We think about his suffering. But with our modern definition, we also think about drive, motivation, pursuit to achieve a goal. And then you think about Luke 23. And when they came to Calvary, There they crucified him. That's the agony. But what brought him there? How did he get there? See, in John the 19th chapter, in about verse 30, sometimes we talk about those seven sayings that Jesus spoke while he was hanging upon the cross. In John 19 and verse 30, it says, as Jesus was hanging there on the cross, he said, it is 
finished. He had done what he came to do. And then following that, it says that he gave up the spirit. He breathed his last. He had a goal. He had a pursuit. It included agony and suffering. But there was a reason why he came there. So Mark 12, in verse 28 through 30, Jesus speaks about our passion. What motivates us? And what's our goal? Do you have that love, that passion for God? And will you follow it to where it leads you? Can we see that? Because that's where Jesus' passion led him to that cross. So now then, Mark 12 and verse 28, a scribe comes and he says, Then one of the scribes came, and having heard them reasoning together, Perceiving that he, that's Jesus, had answered them well, ask him, which is the first commandment of all? I'm reading from the New King James Version. The New King James Version says, which is the first commandment of all? Some translations say, which is the greatest commandment? The New Living Translation says, which is the most important? So whenever this scribe says, which is the first commandment, he's not asking in reference to sequence. What he's asking is in reference to priority. What comes first? What is the most important commandment? And Jesus replies, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. That's number one. Love God passionately. We might say. Not half-heartedly. Not a little bit. Not occasionally. Not sometimes. But with everything you've got. That's first. That's foremost. That's most important. And when Jesus answered that way, the scribe said, Well done. You've answered correctly. So, verse 34. Mark 12 and verse 34. Now, when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom. So the scribe asked Jesus. Jesus answered and the scribe said, Good job. And then he reiterates what Jesus had just said. And then Jesus, uh, it says, When Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he says to him, You're not far from the kingdom. What's that mean? 
you're not far from the kingdom. You know, a lot of times whenever we think about you're not far from the kingdom, we're thinking about you may be getting ready to die. <laughs> and we're thinking kingdom of heaven, right? <laughs> That's not what Jesus is talking about. He's not telling him or giving him a prophecy. It's not going to be long till you pass from this life. What Jesus is saying is, with that understanding that you have, that God is foremost, that that love for Him is the greatest, that is first, that is most important. Important. You're not far from the kingdom. Because that kingdom is here. That kingdom is now. And with that understanding, you're not far from it. You'll come to understand how to enter into it. You'll come to understand how to live in it. Because that's the principle. That God has got to come first. In the kingdom... God rules. In the kingdom, Jesus is the king. In the kingdom, we serve Him. Put Him first. And when you do that, He'll show you how to love everybody else. And He'll show you how to love everything else. And He'll show you how to love yourself. Get that first. That's the foremost. That's the most important. And then, He'll show you how to love everyone, including yourself, and everything else the way you should. That's what Mark 12 and verse 28 through 34 is all about. That's the principle that Jesus wants this scribe and that's the principle that this scribe asked about and that they agreed upon. People learning that principle for life. What's foremost? What's first? God first. Heart, mind, soul, strength. First. So a person says, I'm struggling a little bit. I'm having a little trouble in life. Think you could help me straighten it out? God says, Yeah. Yeah, I can. Just the way it works. God first. That'll help you straighten out everything else. I'm going to borrow an illustration from Brian. He uses this all the time. He talks about buttoning your shirt. You ever watch a little kid button a shirt? <laughs> and they don't get the top button lined up. <laughs> and then they go ahead and button it and then the shirt's all <laughs> kind of out of whack. And so the top button is God first. You get that button right, and everything after that lines up. And it falls into place. That's where you start. 
And that's what the scribe asked about. What's first? What's most important? And Jesus said, this is most important. Top button. Everything else lines up. Based upon evidence, based upon scriptures. I believe there's a God. There's a creator. I believe Jesus Christ is his son. And that he came. And that yes, he did go to Calvary. I believe this is the word of God. And it was revealed by the Holy Spirit. And that through this word, I can come to have faith. And I can come to understand where I have violated his law. And through this word, I can come to understand how I can then turn, repent, as it talks about within the scriptures. And that I can recognize him as Lord, bow the knee to him, And through baptism, I can have my sins washed away and I can come into a covenant relationship with Him. Live in the kingdom, God first, foremost. I serve Him. And that's life in the kingdom. He's first, foremost. And he helps me line up everything else. In, uh, in my closet at home, Maya's not happy today. <laughs> in my closet at home, I have these shelves, and, and on the shelf, I got various baseball caps. I got baseball caps that say Kansas City Royals on Kansas City Chiefs, Missouri Tigers, no Jayhawk caps. <laughs> I also have this one cap, it's kind of camouflage, cool looking. And across the front in this black lettering, it says Hoyt. Some of you guys probably know. Hoyt. Bose. Not Bose speakers. Bose, like B O W. Like go hunting type of bow. I was wearing that hat one day. There was a guy that I kind of know, not know real all that well. But he saw that hat. And here he came. He goes, Hoyt. He goes, I love their equipment. He goes, I love bow hunting. He goes, I've deer hunted. I've turkey hunted. I've wild boar hunted. I've gone fishing, bow fishing. He goes, I used to all the time. If I wasn't out bow hunting, I was practicing. I loved it. And then he paused. And the expression on his face kind of changed and he said I lost two wives because of it he 
goes, that's what I did all the time. I loved it. May I ask you, do you think he had a passion for it? Do you think that was his top button? And do you think because of it, other things got out of line? Relationships got destroyed? Life kind of collapsed, crumbled. Listen to Mark 12 and verse 29. So the scribe comes and he asks, which is the greatest? What's the foremost? Verse 29, Jesus answered him, The first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You know what that's saying? What he is saying is, Hear, O Israel. There is one God. That's what he's saying. And you put him first. No other gods. The very first of the Ten Commandments. I am the Lord your God. You shall have no other gods. And see, sometimes that's what happens. Something else comes first in life. And when something else comes first, then other things can get all out of whack. And so he says, there's one God. You've got to understand that. And then you love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. That's first. That's foremost. And so you learn. And then you turn. And God comes first. That's why Paul said in Colossians 3, whatever you do, do heartily as unto the Lord. Ephesians 6, doing the will of God from the heart. In Romans 6, about 16 through 18. Paul says, Know you not the one to whom you render obedience? You are a slave to the one you obey. In other words, think about it. What are you really serving in life? That's who you belong to. That's who owns you. And for this young man, actually he wasn't that young, he was more like middle-aged. For a while, that passion, that owned him. And because that owned him, that had an effect on everything else. In Romans 6, about verse 17, Paul says, But God be thanked, though formerly you were slaves of sin, you became obedient from the heart to that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. And you became slaves of righteousness. They learned. And they turned. 
And Paul says, God be thanked. So now then, the passion of Christ. I want to talk a little bit about that final week. A lot of times whenever we talk about the passion of Christ, it is kind of a time frame there that runs from Sunday to Sunday. It's kind of like those last eight days of the life of Christ. And so keeping in mind that passion originally had to do with suffering, it had to do with agony. And so that points to this final week. But the culmination also points to why He came. Luke 23 and verse 23, or verse 33. And when they came to Calvary, there they crucified. How did he get there? That was his agony. That was his suffering. But what, what brought him there? What drove him to go there? So I want us to think about this final week together a little bit. If you take a look at John, the 12th chapter, most commentators will suggest that on the previous week, at the end of the week, on about Thursday or Friday, Jesus came to Bethany. That was the home of Mary and Martha. Remember that? Jesus had been there before. Lazarus, whom Jesus raised from the dead. So based on what's stated in John the 12th chapter, most commentators say that Jesus probably came to Bethany on about Thursday or Friday. See, Saturday would have been the Sabbath. So he wouldn't have been traveling that day. So they say he probably came on Thursday or Friday. Bethany was about two miles to the east of Jerusalem. And so on Sunday, and this is where Matthew 21 comes in, along with various other passages. Jesus is going to ride into Jerusalem on a donkey, on a colt. And there's a reason for that. That will fulfill the prophecy of Zechariah, the ninth chapter in verse 9. See, Jesus is going to ride into Jerusalem on a donkey, not on a horse like other kings oftentimes came because they would be like on a war horse. (laughs) What Jesus does is symbolic of peace. This king is different. But as he rides into Jerusalem, they're throwing down palm branches. Hence, today we talk about Palm Sunday, right? The week before. And they're shouting hosannas. Praise to God. Save now. And as he's entering Jerusalem, with all these shouts and with all this praise, The multitudes are going out. This is the prophet from Nazareth. 
But the religious leaders, they see this. They're bothered by this. But Jesus will come to Jerusalem. He will go to the temple. And it seems like, based upon what's stated, that he just sort of looks around. And then he leaves. He goes back to Bethany. But on Monday, Matthew 21, Luke 19, and Mark 11, and so forth, Jesus will return on Monday. And this time, he'll go to the temple. And this time, he'll turn over the tables of the money changers. And he will drive out the animals. And he will shout, My house shall be called a house of prayer, and you have turned it into a den of thieves. But he won't just do that and walk out. He'll stay. And he'll heal the blind. And he'll heal the lame. And he'll teach my house. And then he'll leave. On Tuesday, he'll come back. We probably have more recorded about Tuesday than any other day. And this time when he comes back to the temple, the religious leaders will come to confront him. And they'll ask him, by what authority do you do these things? And Jesus will say, let me ask you a question. The baptism of John, was it from heaven or was it from men? And the religious leaders will confer from them, among themselves and they say, well, if we say that John's baptism was from men, then we're worried about the people because the people all hold John to be a prophet. But then on the other hand, if we then admit that John's baptism was from heaven, then he's going to ask us why we didn't submit to it. And so they tell him, we don't know. And Jesus says, then neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. But he'll stay. And he'll teach in parables. And he will rebuke. Remember Matthew 23? <laughs> Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees. He will rebuke them on this occasion. He'll also predict, Matthew 24, the destruction of Jerusalem. And he'll make reference also to the judgment. And he'll tell his disciples what's going to happen in two days. Then he'll leave. Then there's Wednesday. Wednesday's probably the day that we know the least about. But if you take a look at Matthew 26, what's stated there, most commentators will suggest this is the time when Judas then begins to conspire with the religious leaders what they would give 
for him to betray Jesus. That's Wednesday. Then Thursday. Fateful Thursday. Jesus probably entered Jerusalem earlier in the day on Thursday. And this is the occasion when he will tell his disciples to go and make ready to rent this room and to prepare the Passover where they will eat later that day. And they do. And later that day towards evening, 13 men will enter that upper room. They will partake of the Passover meal. And during the course of that meal, Jesus will get the water, and he'll get a basin, and he'll get a towel, and he'll go down and he'll wash their feet. And he'll tell them, You don't understand what I'm doing now, but afterwards, you will. He'll also say that one of them is going to betray him, and they will begin to ask, Is it I? And then he'll say to Judas, what you do, do quickly. And Judas will go out. And they didn't quite understand what Judas was doing and where he was going. And Jesus will institute the Lord's Supper that we partook of this morning. And he'll tell them, do this in remembrance of me. And then afterwards, they will leave that upper room and they will go just across east of the city to a place called the Mount of Olives. And on the Mount of Olives, they will enter into an area known as the Garden of Gethsemane. And Jesus will ask his disciples to pray. And he will go... just beyond them and he will fall down and he will pray fervently three times he'll ask for this cup to pass from him and he'll come back to the disciples and it's getting late so what are they doing they're asleep and it's around midnight when Judas will show up with the religious leaders and the soldiers and they'll arrest Jesus. And they'll take him to the high priest Annas and he'll be questioned there and then he'll go to the high priest Caiaphas because that year they had two high priests. And they will bring in false witnesses and make false charges against him. And the high priest will announce three different times that he should be condemned, that he is worthy of death. And they'll mock him. They'll slap him. They'll spit upon him. 
and then it'll be sent to the Romans. Because the Jews couldn't put him to death. The Romans ruled over them and wouldn't let them carry out capital punishment. So they need the Romans to carry out their sentence. And so they'll send him to Pilate. The Romans like to start things early in the morning. So it's around 6 in the morning when Jesus will stand before Pilate. Now, I want you to keep something in mind. Because a lot of times, we kind of focus in on this. And rightly so. And what's going on with Pilate? And Jesus being questioned by him. And Jesus being flogged and beaten and then being brought out and Pilate saying, Behold, the man in an attempt (laughs) to show the Jews he's been punished, let him go. (laughs) Let him go. They will have none of it. So they keep crying out that he should be crucified. Three times. The high priest has declared that he should die. Pilate three times will declare him innocent. I find no guilt in him. But they would rather have Barabbas, a known thief and murderer, than to have Jesus. This all starts about six in the morning. You want to know what's you want to know what's going on back at the temple? About six in the morning, there's something that is referred to by the Jews as the Tamid. That's the daily sacrifice. The perpetual sacrifice. Tamid, standing sacrifice. They suggest that's the most important sacrifice. Because it takes place every day. Nine o'clock in the morning, three o'clock in the afternoon. But at six, the lamb is let out and the high priest examines it to make sure that it's flawless it's spotless no blemish and it will be tied up be held three hours Everybody has a chance to look at it to make sure this one is perfect. Be examined.
then at 9 o'clock, it'll be sacrificed. Mark's the one that gives us the details here. Because Jesus, after he stands before Pilate, after he's scourged, after he's beaten, they lead him, Luke 23, to Calvary. And Mark tells us it's the third hour. You know what time that is? It's nine o'clock. That lamb is being sacrificed. And Jesus is being nailed to that cross. That sacrifice was for atonement, forgiveness, to restore the relationship between Israel and God. Jesus will hang there for six hours. And at three o'clock, Jesus will cry out, Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit. At three o'clock is the evening sacrifice. One in the morning, one in the evening, so that it burns perpetually. Sacrifice made perpetually. The standing sacrifice. In Luke 23, Joseph of Arimathea will come and he will ask for the body of Jesus. And it will be placed in a new tomb. Some of the women will follow so that they can see where he is laid. The next day is the Sabbath. But then Sunday. Luke 23, 1 through 7. I think I got that wrong. Luke 24. Now on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they and certain other women went with them and came to the tomb bringing the spices which they had prepared. But they found the stone had been rolled away from the tomb. Then they went in and did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And it happened as they were greatly perplexed about this that behold two men stood by them in shining garments. Then as they were afraid and bowed their faces to the earth they said to them why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here but is risen. Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee, saying, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and the third day rise again. 
You see how Mark 12 fits together with Matthew 21 and those passages that tell us about that last week. That was his passion so that we might have that kind of love, that kind of passion for God. We're studying the letters of John and John says in 1 John 4 and verse 19 that we love him because he first loved us. That's the passion of Christ. I want to extend the invitation this morning to any and all that are here. You've ever rendered obedience under the gospel of Jesus Christ. We'd invite you to do that this very day. Put God first. Love God first. He's foremost. You can be a part of the kingdom. He'll show you how to love yourself, how to love others, how to love everything else. If we can help you in any way, while together we stand and while we sing.